Next week, we are, by chance, going to be in the dance house. We're only going to be using a portion of it for the time being, uh, but we signed the contract on the building, so everybody knows, and we're pretty excited about that. So if you don't know what a dance house is, it's just one road down over. Is that still on 40? Okay, on Highway 40, you follow it out like you're going to go out to the interstate, and about I don't know, halfway there you'll see a big sign that's, well, it's on the building that says Dance House, it'll be on your left. Um, but we are excited to say the least. We will see, we're, you know, we're going to go into phase two now where we hopefully get the loan and we hopefully get the down payment. Again, I say hopefully, but we are doing the same thing we've done to this point in time. We're relying on God to be in it. And because God's in it, we're going to get there. We know that. So praise God, uh, and, and we'll make moves from there. But by saying that, for the first three months, it would be just like renting this place, with the exception of how quickly things move, how quickly things progress. So to start with, we have approximately 40 chairs at the church, I mean at the church office, that we'll be bringing out. Uh, so if you... Don't mind bringing a bag chair along or something that you can set up your own chair uh, just in case we start to uh, grow bigger than what we, what we think we may. Uh, that would be awesome. But continue in prayer. That phase two goes as well as everything else has been going to this point in time. Continue to pray that uh, God's in it because if God's in it, then we'll win it for sure. So that's where we're at. So with that, let's go ahead and pray uh, before we start to get into the Word, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. And it's just great to see everybody. Father, we just uh, want to give you thanks and praise, Father, that this morning you uh, have brought us all together, Lord, in one accord in your name. Jesus said we may stand before you and let you know how much you mean to us, how much we love the blessings that you give us and the grace and mercy that you bestow upon us each day. Father, we know we're not perfect, but we also know that we are your children and that we will continue to be your children, Lord. Uh, Jesus, we can't say enough about your sacrifice. We thank you for the words that you've given us, for the Bible, Lord, that we have a way of life that we can follow and that we can learn from and, and gain wisdom from, Father. Lord, we do these things in all hopes that what we do for you here on this earth Lord, is what you would have us do. We, we love you. We give you all praise and glory, Lord, and we do these things in your name. Amen. Okay, with that, we're going to get right into the word. Um, we will continue on Acts. We will start at Acts 20, uh, 13. So if you want to open your books till there, and we will start to go through. We'll read some and then talk about some, but... So... This is actually Paul, again, still traveling, still preaching, doing what Paul does. Uh, it says, We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. Now, I'd like to stop there, and I'd just like to say, now Paul has been, first of all, what Paul gave up by not getting picked up where they were at, he had to walk basically 30 miles to meet the boat. Now, Paul, as you know, has been, ever since 
he changed over from Saul, which was the bad guy, to Paul, which is the good guy. He's been preaching the gospel and Jesus and him crucified the whole bit. And he's been going from town to town. Now, if you guys remember, he had just been preaching throughout the night. And there was a gentleman that fell out of a window. They thought he was certainly had died. But he actually hadn't. Paul went down, laid on him. Again, the power passed through him. And Paul said, he's not dead. He's just asleep. You know, so when Paul decides to go on foot, it doesn't really say why he decided to take that trip. But if you think about what Jesus did throughout his, his whole message that he was preaching, he needed time alone at times just to spend time again with his Father, God, and also to recoup himself. So it doesn't say why Paul decided to walk, but it could have been to replenish his spirit because, again, he had just given up part of the power that God's given him for this young man that fell out the window. It could have been because he knew along the way he would get to meet people and preach again to them, new people. And I think there's a third reason. I think that the reason why he decided to walk was I think Paul at this point in time was a little bit hot. He was a little bit mad because he had been through the Ephesians, you know, he had preached to them, and yet here there was just a big riot. And Paul's, Paul was upset because he wants to go in there and tell them, hey, what's going on? I just got done preaching this message to you, and now you guys got a riot going on, and everybody's against what's happening. So I think Paul needed a cooling period as well. So I think he's walking and he's thinking about things. And throughout this whole walk, Paul regains his, his uh, goal, his priority, which is again to spread the gospel message to as many people as he can touch. So from there, it says, when he met us at Essos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Shios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life nothing worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So if I can get this to work, we'll see. So here, as I, as I said before, Paul is taking time to refresh himself with God. 
And we all need to spend time in refreshing ourselves with God because we all have hardships come against us. And so Paul, in, in, uh, in his travels here, now he's, he sent word to the elders from, from Ephesus again. Now keep in mind, he sent word to them to meet him. Again, he's still got that on his mind about the riots and everything else going on, and he wants to make sure that they understand what has to happen and, and with them from this point on, because he's moving on. By now, Paul's been through a lot of trials. He's already you know, gotten taken out of how many uh, life and death situations, and he's really trying hard to get to Jerusalem because he thinks that's where it's all going to end because of all the warnings that they keep telling him, you know, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul doesn't understand his time hasn't come up yet. So he's, uh, he wants to make sure these places that he's covered and that he's given the gospel message to, that they fully understand that he's not held anything back from them. That if they're going to continue to grow and to spread the news of the gospel, that they have to be in tune with what the Lord's wanting them to do. So, Paul shares that story. And that's what we need to do. We need to do that same thing in, in, in this day and age. Paul keeps sharing his story about how, when he was Saul, how the, how the Lord blinded him. And then the Lord, you know, made him one of the biggest preachers in the world, actually. Paul became one of the main preachers in the world because of the fact that his faith in, in God and the things that have happened, the same thing happens with us. There, there's a story that each and every one of us holds that God has touched our lives at one point in time or another. And there, there could be stories about money. They could be stories about pregnancies. They could be stories about uh, anything that people don't think happens to everybody, but everybody has those personal disasters that happen, that come in and that attack their hearts, attack their, their minds, attack the fact that Satan doesn't want us to know that God is there for us every minute of every day. And those stories are important because, again, if you're talking to somebody today in this, this day and age that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ already, then they're probably not going to believe a story that you may read out of the Bible. But if you relate a story to them, just like Paul's relating to these people in, in his time, if you relate that story to someone else, it becomes very believable. Because those are the things that happen to us each and every day. Each and every day that happens to us. There may be something bad that happens, that it could be a death in the family. But through that death comes grace, and through that grace comes forgiveness. And through that is another story that you can share with somebody how you got through that situation. And Paul's trying to relate this to them, that the bottom line of everything is Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he's not going to give up on the Ephesians just because one guy thought, 
you know what, this, this guy's going to cost us money, so we're going to spread this rumor. We're going to let this rumor go on. And then they cause a big riot. And they even arrested some of the apostles. But then they're freed. Because again, could have been another disastrous story, but God's hand was in it. So Paul is again trying to make sure that he covers with them again. Here's, what the, here's what's going on, guys. This is what you need to rely on. So we'll continue from there. Now I know that none of you, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. At this point in time, Paul's telling them, just like the Bible tells us about the end times, Paul's saying, hey, don't forget, there's going to be more guys come in, there's going to be more guys start rumors, there's going to be more guys starting riots. You guys have to hold to the faith. So he's already given them warnings here, and he's, he's telling them, now listen, guys, you know, I've, I've already gone through and told you the good news. You've now had another group of people come in and tell you that the good news is bad news and it's bad news because it's going to affect what we make or what we do or who we, who we profess to, uh, to worship our fake idols our idols that are no different again from today our idols of money our idols of fame our idols of pride our idols of, of uh, worship period He's, he's saying, these things are going to come against us each and every day. So heed the warnings. He, here he's telling them this, you know, our, our heed comes toward the end of the Bible in Revelation, where, where they tell us everything that's going to come and happen to this world. That's, that's the warnings we have now. But Paul is again talking to the elders, and he's saying, guys, look, here's what's happening. Don't let your flock go unguarded. Don't let the false preachers come in. Don't let them take over and start to spread anything else than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Don't let that happen. We need to be just like Paul was then. We need to do that today. We need to make sure that we profess that that's what we believe in. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what we stand for. That's what we rely on our own faith that's what we rely on for our own mercy and for the hope of a wonderful future with Christ after this this life here so Paul is now telling them hey guys I'm already telling you here's what's going to happen you guys have already seen it firsthand make sure that you keep an eye on your flock these are the things that are important 
Don't waver in your word. Don't say that, oh, don't worry, this is okay, even though I told you it's not okay. You need to stay on the path. Stay on the path and just know that the gospel message is the gospel message. It is nothing else. Don't fluff it. Don't try to adhere to it. Don't try, I mean, don't try to add to it. Use the gospel message as it is. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. The next thing Paul did was encourage them. So now he's called them together. He's admonished them. He's told them what's, what he has seen, what he has heard, what they need to do, what they need to do to make sure they watch for the warnings. And now what he's done is he's turned around and he's going to encourage them with grace, and that's the grace that only Jesus Christ can administer. So there you get the it's better to give than receive, which we all know nowadays that's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand, giving than rather receiving. But this is how God continues to heal us. We know what the word says. We know that it's our choice to believe or to not believe. We know that by his grace we are forgiven and by his grace we can find joy. And in that order, Satan continues to attack us through our own lives, through our own children, through our own jobs maybe, through just what life throws at us. And again, by relying on the word, this is our way. Encourage people with grace. Let them know. When you, when you discuss Jesus with people, there's no need to argue with them because it's not an argument. There is no argument. But you just need to let them know what the warnings, what the warnings are, how it affects your life, and then go with grace. That Jesus Christ forgives, and there's nothing, nothing that we can do that if we go fervently before the Lord and ask for his forgiveness, that we won't get forgiven. So he again goes back in and he finishes by telling them just how good the Lord is. And then again he follows up with, I think one more on there. Hold on. Oh, my bad. I didn't add that one. But what, what would have been my last slide is that just what we finish the verses out with, in 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. That statement right there is what I think we as Christians understand most of all, that irregardless of where we get to what point in our lives we get, 
We need to go before God and we need to pray. And again, praying is, is not something that you have to get a book out and read about. Praying is just a conversation with God. He already knows everything going on in your life, but he wants to hear it from you. He wants to actually hear you voice what your issues are, what your desires are, what your, what your uh, deepest fears are. He wants to hear from you that, that uh, you will count on him no matter what. No matter what's going on in your life, he wants to know that you are encouraged by him, by the fact that he is there with you each and every day. If anybody ever feels like they're all alone, first of all, I would pray that if anybody in this church ever feels that they're all alone, they have people they can call. Because I know that there are people in here that, that see each other regularly, that would, would cherish a conversation at any point in time. I would hope that nobody ever feels like they're left out there by themselves. Because that is definitely not how we profess to be as Christians. We profess to be a group that stands together, united, in Jesus and Him crucified. And that we are here to bring glory to God each and every day. I just want to throw that out there. Guys, you know, we talk about this new building and that. And the building is a home, for sure. For sure. No, no different than that, than this. It's a building. But it becomes something that God can work through us on to move forward. I think that we've made it to this point because we could care less about the money. We're all looking at bringing more glory to God. With a building, we pray that we can bring more glory to God. That we can be, have a place that we can perform functions that will bring more glory to God. We definitely want this congregation to continue to bring more glory to God. We don't want to worry about money. We don't want to worry about these things. We pray and we know that God's in it. And I hope nobody's mindset changes anything that we have going on wherever we meet. I don't care where we meet. When we meet at a pavilion uptown, I pray that the only thought process there is that we continue to bring glory to God and that we are there for each other to encourage and strengthen so we can all live lives that we want to live. And we all have the same belief. And we all believe that it is because Jesus died on a cross for us that we even have a remote chance at glory in this world and the world after. So Paul continues to preach this. I'd like to read a little thing that I found in a book about Paul. Because again, you know, we don't... Paul's being told in his, in his dreams with God, in his prayers with God, that he's, he's in for a rough trip. When he gets to Jerusalem, look out, you're going to get beat, you're going to get this, you're going to get that. And he goes in because he doesn't care. By this point in time, Paul's to the point where he says, take me. I'm ready. I don't care. I'll, I don't care who I tell what. If they don't like it, it's too bad. You want to put me to death? Great. You've killed me. Now you've sent me to heaven. So he's to that point. Paul is to the point where now, when it first started happening, all the things like being in prison and getting set free by angels and, and doing all these other things, 
Paul first came to the realization that, you know, there it is. God is real. God is the one in charge. We need to continue that thought process here. Paul proclaimed all the suffering, diligence, hard work, controversy, and martyrdom was for the glory of preaching the gospel. The purpose was to see every man, every Christian, perfected in Christ and presented to our Lord and Savior. And here's the, here's the kicker. He felt, that, he felt that failure at this task is simply too awful to contemplate. He did not care how many people he upset because his only thought process was how many people can I save? How many people can I help Jesus Christ save in this lifetime? And Paul was perhaps the greatest preacher ever because he's the one that got it all started. You know, the apostles were with, with uh, Jesus through the whole process and a lot of them are getting killed off already and, you know, and they're doing their thing as well. But Paul's task in life was to be going out into the public, letting more people know about Jesus and him crucified, and to spread the good news. And it is good news. We're in a day and age right now where I think if I lived in a big city, if I lived in New York, if I lived in California, I might be a little bit afraid to go out and preach the good news because there's so much going on now that, that people are just, there's, there's no rhyme or reason for their beliefs, their, their talks with each other. But we can't let that hamper us. We can't allow other people's opinions to stop us from what our function is in this world. And our function in this world is to spread the word of Jesus Christ. And to let people know that they have a way to salvation. I think the easiest people to talk to are probably the ones that we all consider gloom and doom. The people that never have a good thing to say about anything. I mean, they're upset if the sun don't come up till 7, and they're upset if the sun don't come up till 10. They, I mean, they're just upset about everything. Those are the people that we just need to keep planting that seed. That, have you tried Jesus Christ? I know I'm as guilty as everybody. It's probably been weeks since I've even invited anybody to come to church. I used to try to make it a, a, a point to do so. Uh, and I even asked the same people numerous times if they would like, just like to come and join. Not, not because I want the church to get bigger. That isn't why. I want to do it for the same reason that Paul did it. Because we have to spread the word about Jesus Christ. I pray that everyone in here touches somebody this week. And by touching them, don't touch them if, you know, if that's per the sense that you say touch them. But what I mean is reach out and at least be not afraid to look somebody in the face and say, hey, do you go to church anywhere? Do you know Jesus Christ? And just see what they have to say. Because a lot of them, they're not shy to tell you just what they think about it or what they don't think about it.
And again, don't argue with them. Just let them know your story, what's happened to you in your life, and how you know that there is a God. And you've at least planted the seed, and the Holy Spirit can take it from there, and he can either let them know. I mean, there are some people that are not going to be saved. That's in the Bible. But we don't know who they are. We don't know which ones they are. So it definitely doesn't hurt us. It doesn't cost us anything. Maybe a little pride once in a while when we get told that we're stupid if we believe. But it shouldn't matter. And if we're following that, that lesson from what the apostles and, you know, basically everybody that's in the Bible, that has, has done anything in the Bible, they were all the early preachers. I mean, they, they, they were the ones that started it all. You, you look back, you go, okay, and now we're all here, but it all started with Adam and Eve. Wow, what a process. How many people are around now? But if when you look at a movement, just like there are movements today, and people can believe and in, in worship however they want, that's what they say. But it's not doing them any good if they're not worshiping God because they're still not going to find joy. And if they can't find joy in worshiping Jesus Christ, then they still need to talk to somebody. Because that's your only release. That's the only way you're ever going to find your joy back, is to get back into the arms of Christ and let him know that you need his help. We all need his help. We need him to be in it for us to have a different building and to continue to grow in that, that area of life there. But we praise God that we do have him. And again, pray. Last but not least, pray. Which again is just that conversation with God. And I challenge you to try that at least once a day. At least once a day. If you can get up to 80% of the day where everything that happens, you think of Christ or the Holy Spirit, Man, you're living a good life then because then nothing's really going to get to you. Because that joy will come back to you after something happens or if somebody comes against you. That's your only way of, of circumventing that. With that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for giving me the ability to stand in front today, Lord, and just to discuss how much you love us with your word, how much you love us by giving us your son, Father. Just the sheer fact that we have the ability to do what is supernaturally, at times, told we can't. Father, we can move those mountains in your name and only in your name. Father, continue to bless this group. Lord, touch them today. Let them know that your arms are tightly wrapped around them at all times. Father, for our families, for our children, for our our cousins and uncles and friends and just if they don't know you personally Lord and we know that let us not be hesitant let us not be afraid to stand up like Paul and to just let them know of you and you crucified Father Lord I can't tell you enough how blessed we are as children of yours and that we give you all praise and glory, Lord, and that we can go out into this world and we can speak of you as the only true Father, Lord. 
We give you, we give thee in your name, Lord, and in all things, we thank you. Amen.